This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. You're, 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 tuned, you're tuned into It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, the top podcast covering the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Hosted by Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata at Odyssey Sports Podcast. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, what is going on? Just a normal day. You know, we, we uh, feel like this has just been rinse, repeat every week uh, for the past 10, 11 weeks, other than the unfortunate Monday Night Football game. I'm just like, yeah, they won. Let's have a fun, let's have a fun time. You know, my, the football team is giving me good feelings. <laughs> I'll say this, uh, the guy, uh, Dominique Foxworth, he said it before the Bengals played the Carolina Panthers, that PJ Walker was going to outplay Joe Burrow. Yeah, I saw ever, that. It was... Ever since that tweet, they're on a 10-game win streak. If they win the Lombardi, I am going right back to that comment and saying, ever since this tweet, this team went on a 12-game win streak, 10 games in a row, an impressive win versus the Buffalo Bills. And I can't stop thinking about that, but it's also championship week. So it's hard to balance the two. Can you uh, can you tell me what happened to PJ Walker uh, after that tweet? We never saw him again. Yeah, he got benched at halftime and didn't play again. <laughs> I, well, that's just like it's so over the top. Like, yeah, you could think like the Bengals' offense might struggle a little bit against this Panthers' defense or something, or maybe you think the Bengals' defense isn't going to do a good job against PJ Walker. Blah blah blah. When the talent disparity is that far apart, where this guy has been a career backup versus Joe Burrow, who's the number one overall pick and clearly has shown at least Pro Bowl, to me, MVP and All-Pro level talent, to tweet that, it's it's like the Chiefs defense isn't good. So when they face the Raiders, well, yeah, face the Raiders, and you go, I think Jared Stidham's going to have a better game than Patrick Mahomes. Like, hey, you would never tweet that. or. No. I think Skylar Thompson is going to have a better game than Josh Allen. You would never tweet that. Why then does Joe Burrow get the idea of, and I guess this was earlier when he was struggling a little bit. Why does he get the, well, I think this backup quarterback is going to have a better game than him. No, he's not. And I know PJ Walker had a good game right before that, but no, no, he's not. Like, that's just so stupid. Like, what are the odds that happens? Like one in 100? It's absolutely insane. Um, You know, the Joe Burrow season has been absolutely incredible if you think about it you could go back to week one which we've talked about plenty of times when they turned the ball over five times he had the surgery he's never had a normal off season it's been kind of crazy but you actually tweeted out earlier today about just kind of being impressed with the leap the jump that you've noticed over the last year i want you to talk more about that and why you see that Okay, so the tweet was about i think this jump he made from one calendar year ago 
till today is just as impressive as the jump he made from his rookie year to his uh, second year. Obviously, his second year, he finished what awesome. He was great. But in that playoff run, he was good, but the offensive line fell apart. He wasn't as efficient, and he took a lot of sacks. And he kind of took a lot of sacks that entire year. That's cut out of his game. He doesn't take very many sacks anymore. Um, even if this offensive line is at a disadvantage, which I wouldn't say they were last week, surprisingly. On paper, yes. Uh, on the field, no. <laughs> uh, but anyway, even if it happened, like he, he takes like – what do you take four sacks in the in the Ravens game? That yeah. last year, I think that would have been eight sacks, just because he's so good now at the quarterback part. I feel like he was such a great he was he was a great quarterback before. Don't get me wrong. I think he was smart. I think he was very very accurate and precise. But now defenses are game planning to stop him. Last year, he kind of got some gimmies because you know defense didn't know who he was blah, blah, blah. And he struggled a little bit against some specific things, but he was always was able to get to, if they're playing single high, I've got my dudes. I trust these guys no matter what. This year, to me, he is since week five or so, week six, somewhere around there, pretty much since the chase injury, I think. He's been pretty much always perfectly on time. He has the same launch point for all the different concepts for the most part. He steps up, makes little movements in the pocket that are really impressive. He doesn't have to extend the play and get out of the pocket to make these type of plays. He can make the plays within the pocket while still avoiding that pressure. He's still as accurate. He's still as dangerous throwing the ball down the field. He's more willing to check the ball down. And I think he's playing smarter. I think what he's seeing, he's doing a better job of, you know, they are doing these crazy rotations and stuff and bringing odd blitzers and Burrow sets the protections. You hear him go, Ringo, <laughs> Rip, Liz, whatever. Uh, I, I, Ringo just rings in my head because I hear him say Ringo. At least that's seared into my memory as one of the times he yelled it. But when you hear the quarterback yelling R and L words, they're setting the protections uh, for the most part. So you hear him setting the protections. He's getting his guys in the right position. This is just things he didn't really do last year. He did, still did some setting of the protections, but now it's it seems like it's almost all him and I don't know, uh, just the quarterbacking I think is what's so impressive. He's always like three-step ball out and this helps the offensive line so much um, that I've talked about before. When the quarterback gives you the con consistent launch point, three-step drop, he's always seven yards deep or something like that. Five-step drop, he's always at nine yards and he'll step up if he needs to. Um, quick game, he's always at six yards. Just when the offensive line knows that they don't have eyes in the back of their head, even though it seems like it at times. They don't know exactly where the quarterback is, but when they are consistently, and he's not drifting left or right on these plays, when he's consistently launching from the same spot with the same speed to throw, he's one of the quickest time to throw. It's Brady, then him. And they both push the ball downfield too. And uh, so this is just the quarterbacking element of everything, the processing, the accuracy, everything's there. But yeah, he's just added on this layer of extra smarts, extra consistency, um, just so much added to it. And I think he made that same jump from his rookie year to his second year. His rookie year, he's he's still a smart dude. But NFL games move, moves fast, and it takes a minute to operate like that. Burrow, to me, operates like a eight-year vet. like Almost like, I've seen everything you could ever throw at me. But he's played like one and a half, two and a half years. He's played two and a half years. Uh, so it's just crazy to me. I, I think it's awesome, uh, the, the leap he's made, because – I think he does such a good job now of helping his offensive line. And as er 
as late as like week four, honestly, we'll say the Monday night game. I think he was a little early on a lot of those, but he wasn't really helping his offensive line as much. And now he does. Like it used to be, you probably don't like the block for Burrow because you're going to get a little extra sack numbers and whatever because he likes to hold on to that ball, take the deep shots, make extend the play. And he's just learned one of the hardest things to do, which is rein that in and just take what the defense gives you. And I feel like that usually takes a lot of time to develop. I always go back. I don't remember which Seattle Seahawks defensive coordinator it was that said this, but he said the only guy that's ever been happy about taking a six-yard passing play is Tom Brady. Honestly, it seems like Joe Burrow is kind of there. (laughs) He's like, he takes a six-yard passing play. He's like, got him. It's kind of crazy um, with him and his football IQ because that was one of the things out of college. I remember talking to Marcus Spears, Chris Fowler, some of the college football guys who really watched him at LSU in, in his 2019 season. And that was one of the biggest things they, they praise him on. And you mentioned it's two and a half years in the league and this guy's playing like an eight year vet. He's only going to get better with that. And that's really exciting when you think about what this offense and a franchise quarterback, because I think a lot of teams around the league would take him in a heartbeat heartbeat right now with the football IQ that he has out there and what he's been able to do with this offense. We go back to those moments, the time when we found out that Jamar Chase was going to be gone for, for about a month. And I truly still feel like that just helped Joe Burrow even more. Mm -hmm. And it feels so crazy to think and say that if we look back on it now in January, back to the time without Jamar Chase. Yeah. Uh, what I think it actually even helped, it helped Joe Burrow a ton because now, you know, he had to learn to rein everything in. I don't have my safety blanket in Jamar Chase. So I could just throw a ball up to, he still can with Higgins, but just having one of those guys and having to work. I got Trent Irwin now. Like, yeah, he's going to make some awesome, awesome plays. He's not a guy that like, Oh, go ball Trent Irwin time, you know, throw it up to him. He hit a few back shoulder fades to him, but it's not like that's just a guy that's just going to win consistently on the outside. So he had to learn how to play quarterback a little bit better, I think, during that time. And also, I think that Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan learned the passing offense a little bit better. They learned how to scheme things up a little bit better. What's working? What's not working? Because sometimes plays that don't really seem to work for an offense when you have a Jamar Chase, they could work, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like the, this wasn't, this really wasn't supposed to hit or, you know, like uh, it was just Jamar Chase and T Higgins are on the field at the same time and they make it work. Now they're facing real cover, the not real coverage, but you know, like they shade so much stuff to Jamar Chase that now they're facing more, you know, traditional full field. We're not just clouding Jamar Chase and letting the other guys do their thing. They're facing, you know, like we're just facing normal cover two. We're facing normal quarters. We're facing all these other things. So they learned how to call offenses that can move the ball methodically down the field and not need these splash plays. And I think it's just symbiotic. Just, you know, Joe Burrow's become a better quarterback, which helps the offensive line. And they are all helped because Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan call a more diverse and varied attack through the air. I saw a tweet today that was like, the Bengals offense is just 989 drive sale, yes. blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, last year, because <laughs> they, they changed it this year. That's yeah. the whole thing is that that's what it was going into the season. And that's why I think the Bengals offense had some struggles early on throwing the ball. And they were running some other concepts, but they just weren't working. So they, they get the... What this coaching staff did, both, well, all three of Frank Pollock as the run game coordinator, Brian Callahan as the offensive coordinator, and Zach Taylor as the head coach and offensive play design in there as well, I'm sure, um, were able to do. He's the play caller. Yeah, so obviously. Uh, but what they were able to do and change the offense, like what they thought was going to work didn't work early in the season. The Bengals had like an average offense 
And Joe Burrow got better. Yes, I think Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are better players this year than they were last year. But what they are able to do to completely change an offense like that during the season is so hard. I, th- you usually have to wait for like a bye week or uh, it doesn't happen at all or you just get little changes. But they completely shifted the run game around week five, right at week five. Actually, they ran all this gun and power stuff. And then they slowly kind of shifted the passing game, starting, I think, with the New Orleans game and just adding on more and more, especially after the chase injury, more and more each week. So I've been really impressed with all three of those uh all those components getting better this year, because I think it's rare. I I don't think you normally see an offense come out, look that sluggish unless there's injuries and stuff. And yeah, the offensive line needed time to gel and all this other stuff. But what I really think was the main difference is that the play callers and designers got better. They changed the scheme and the quarterback and receivers got better during the season. And it's super cool. Yeah. And kind of going back to the coaching, if we all remember around the week five time, everybody wanted Zach Taylor fired. They didn't, or if he wasn't fired, they wanted him to stop calling the plays. Yes. And I think that is absolutely huge as a head coach to realize, look, something's not working and we're going to change it up right now. And like you said, it's not easy to do during the season, not during a bye week. They did it early on and that changed the season. If you look back on it, what they've been able to do with this offense, Joe Burrow and his weapons. Yes, they're getting better, but credit to Zach Taylor. Credit to him, too, because he realized, hey, we've got to change something up in here. And we have the talent in this room when it's Dan Pitcher, Brian Callahan, Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow. We're going to work together to change it and obviously have the personnel, too. Um, I think you can look back on that and be like, that's when you, you got to give credit to your head coach. Dan, hey, the other guy we got all those messages about. I think this last game was Frank Pollock's magnum opus, by the way. I mean, to take what was a majority three out of five backup offensive linemen and put on that display. It was incredible. I, I don't think we can credit that enough. Like, yes, I completely, I will be honest. Like I, I was pretty, I was saying don't fire the guy in the first four weeks, but I was just kind of like, we got to see some results, man. Like I know that everybody says this guy, you know, he's, he's doing everything. And I think the guys are getting in good spots and everything, but you got to see some results eventually. And then they finally have been happening. And you talk about like, well, he hasn't developed anybody. I don't think that Hakeem Adenogy, Jackson Carmen are going to go into that game if they weren't developed and put up that performance, like incredible stuff. I, I just think, and you know, he's going to give all the credit to the players, of course, like that clip where he said, he's just so proud of them. Everybody doubt him. What a good coaching moment. Um, it, it was just awesome. I thought that game was such a statement game from Frank Pollock as yeah, maybe he's not Bill Callahan and Zach Taylor should have gotten rid of Jim Turner earlier and just done Bill Callahan. But he's probably in like the tier below that where you're very happy with your with your offensive line coach. Like you can't take a Wyatt Teller cast off and make him an all pro. But you could take these guys and they can really go out there and kick some butt, even if it's three backups against a heavily uh, mismatched I, I, I was trying to come up with a phrase that I feel like I messed it up at the beginning, but just like a, a heavy mismatch on paper and he flip that script. And I know there's some weather elements and whatnot to it, but just what a shout out Frank Pollock. I've been a supporter, but I remember getting all the, the questions, all the tweets about how he should be fired. What does this guy even do? All these other things. And I kept trying to say, it takes time. It takes time. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, <laughs> we aren't seeing the results. We, I hope it's just taking time. And it did. So uh, yeah, just Shout out Frank Pollock for what an awesome game from him and a great job this season to completely change our run scheme. Nobody does that. 
Yeah, I think people have to remember that he's the run game coordinator too. And when it comes to that social media clip, I agree with you. Uh, we'll get more into the matchup with the Bills and what that looked like on the su- on Sunday in the divisional game. But these guys listen. Um, they might say that they're not listening to the outside noise or what people are talking about, but they're listening to what the criticism was all week going into this game. There's a reason Frank Pollock told all of them that everybody was doubting them. The social media clip was so pure. He just hugged his guys, uh, Cordell Wilson, Jackson Carmen, and he sat there and he just like held them for a couple of seconds on some of the video clips that I know some fans even took from the stands. And you could just really tell this guy cares about this team. And I'm just glad that they, they stuck with these guys and bringing a guy back that wasn't a part of your staff and realizing, hey, he could bring something to this offensive line. Joe Mixon was a big fan of Frank Pollock and other pieces in the room were really going to be welcoming of Frank Pollock. And I'm just glad that they they kept with it. Um, But yeah, I want to get more to the offensive line, the trenches, the D-line, and just kind of more a little bit of look ahead as we get into championship week next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Offensive line. It was the only thing we talked about last week, and I'll be completely honest with you. Going into that game, I was a little worried when you're without three offensive line members. I mean, we think about those flashbacks from the playoffs last year and all the hits Joe Burrow took, even in the division around alone against the Titans. Jackson Carmen getting the start at tackle. Cordell Volson's been 50-50 some of the season. He's had a few moments. Then you have Hakeem Adeniji out there. And Ted Karras, who was battling through. Um, I know he was going to the sideline a couple of times. I feel like we'll get a little more about how he's feeling this week. But as of now, Zach Taylor says he's going to be good to go for that Kansas City game um, in a few days. But let's go to the offensive line. Focus on what really stood out to you first. Uh, the dominance. Just the push they had in the run game, I think is what stands out to me the most, whether it's their solo blocks, their double teams, um, tight ends too, to get, got in wide receivers. Everybody just blocked their tails off in the run game. And it just showed up. It, it, it Even if the bills pass rush wasn't that great and they were down Daquan Jones, you still think of a lot of these guys as good run defenders, whether it's at Oliver, Gregory Russo, or um, Shaq Lawson, all these guys, you know, they, they, they kind of have a similar approach to the Bengals where they like to get the run defenders as all the complementary pieces and then you throw on a Von Miller or you throw on a Trey Hendrickson if you're the Bengals and they just dominated them like there's so few I think there was one 
play that was less that that was tackle for a loss in the run game. And they had 40% of their runs were first downs. That's insane. Because you're usually running on like first and second down, like first and 10, second and five. To average over five yards of carry for Joe Mixon, I think it was over four yards of carry for Samaj P. Ryan and put up some of the best numbers in a run game this season, in a playoff game, in the snow, on the road, against a mismatch. Awesome. I just, some of the, some of the, blocks that these guys made is just incredible to me and i think it was very very well designed i think that the Bengals staff did a really good job of forcing defensive backs to try to defend the run they did a good job of using their guys to the best of their abilities to their unique skill sets but none of that happens if you're not getting the push and the performance and the execution from this offensive line. And that's what I thought was the most impressive. Like, yeah, the pass protection was pretty impressive. I think Burrow helps that a bit too with how fast he gets rid of the ball and how good he does at avoiding some of that edge pressure and even interior pressure. But just the run game was just incredible to me. And to get your butt kicked for 60 minutes by three backup offensive linemen. And then not the two best, like Kappa was out. Like they had starters still, but they didn't have like a, an elite starter. They had a pretty good center and a fourth round rookie left guard. Just awesome, man. That's, that's just, you know, it's what, it's what you write stories and stuff about. I like the underdog takes the, takes it to them. And I thought that was awesome. I just, I was not expecting that. Like I thought if they're going to get something in the run game, it'd be very well designed and they'd be a junk ball pitcher type thing. We're going to throw everything at them. And they kind of did a little bit of that and they did a really good job designing it. But just the performance they got outside of all of that, just the push. I just think of the push. Like Volson and Karras were driving guys in those double teams like six yards downfield. Like Mixon just had to like on some plays just kind of walk behind the, the center guard double team and he'd get four or five yards. There was one of my favorite mix-in runs was in the fourth quarter with less than seven minutes to go, and he got tripped up, and he was going all the way for a touchdown. It was nothing but green grass in the end zone, well, snow in the end zone, and he was, I want to say they were on the 50, and it just felt like he just got tripped up at the end, and I thought, oh, my Yeah, it was an offensive lineman leg came up as he was trying to squeeze through the hole, and it hit his leg, and he fell down. I was like, ah, man, that was it. (laughs) I mean, that game wasn't even close. And I'm I'm I I feel that way and I feel very confident in saying that. It I was know technically over in the first quarter. 14 nothing. Bills never scored 14. I mean, it, it's insane to to go about that because you go into the game and I'm not sure how you felt, but the snow starts to come down. And not that Joe Burrow's good when it's under 35 degrees. He knows how to play in these conditions. He's an Ohio guy. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's gonna be snowing. Is this going to help Cincinnati? What's this going to look like for the offensive line? It's going to be loud. They're obviously on the road. And it's just absolutely incredible. We'll focus still on the offense right now. When you think about the run game, you talk about Joe Mixon and, and P. Ryan. But when Joe starts off well, you're like, oh, it's a Joe Mixon game. He's going to be just fine. He's going to run the ball just fine. They had 30 first downs on offense, which is absolutely incredible too. But I want to go back to Jackson Carmen because we talked about it on last week's podcast. And look. There are two important games still to be played. And I say two because you have to win this one to get to the next one. And we talked about the left tackle position. Jackson Carmen getting a lot of love out there. Uh, Jonah Williams still sidelined. Zach Taylor did say in his Monday press conference uh, to be determined if Jonah or Alex Kappa can go in this game. I think it's pretty encouraging that Alex Kappa did travel with the team. He was on the sideline when Frank Pollock was giving that speech to his offensive lineman, wearing his boot in the snow. Uh, credit to the guy. 
How did you feel about Jackson Carmen as a whole taking that left tackle position? I thought he was good, like legitimately good. Like last last week, I think people kind of put like the yeah, he was fine. I didn't think he was very I thought it was the Bengals didn't call a real offense was the first issue. And then he gave up the sack and had a couple other pressures. And he just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Is that just the Jackson Carmen we're used to? And he had some good plays. Like, I don't want to discredit it too much. This game he's looked legitimately good. Like this would have been an upper echelon Jonah game. And I think we've talked about that with the Denny where he can give, and he has given a few times upper echelon law Collins games. So when you get those from your backup, it's really impressive. Um, I'll say it wasn't perfect. Like there, there were a few flubs here and there. He, he missed a corner on a pooling play where he should have blown that guy up. He threw the guy into Joe Burrow's leg at one point, And, you know, he had a, another one or two misses in pass protection. But he, look, it's his second start left tackle. Just strictly on the field because off the field. Not a fan. But on the field, <laughs> uh, I thought he played well. I thought he played really well. And um, if this is leading – is this leading to a Jonah versus Jackson question if they're healthy? I don't know if I can get there. I think I'd go Jonah still. I just think the the length of time he's been here, as long as he is healthy enough to play, I feel more comfortable with him playing than I do Carmen, even though Carmen did just have a good performance. I think Carmen has kind of saved his career a little bit with this because he was probably getting cut. He was always a healthy inactive every week. You've got the off-field baggage. You've got all those other issues. And it actually seems like the third time they've done this mature story might have actually happened. So I, I kind of – I need to be a little bit more patient, I think, with these guys because I was just kind of writing them off as like, well, whatever, I'm not a fan. I'd rather start Prince. Patience. I don't know about the whole natural position thing, but he was a tackle and he could still play tackle. He never could play guard, even if that's what it seemed like he'd project to. And I think the back injury last year might've been more serious than we let on. We talk about Collins back injury all the time. Maybe that's part of the issue with Carmen who also had back surgery in the off season before playing. Uh, so all those things considered, I think it is fair to give Carmen a lot of credit. Uh, but with all that said, I think I'd still just go Jonah just because I think Jonah's fine. I think he's solid. I, I don't know where this Jonah's terrible narrative comes from other than seeing all the times people have tagged me and said, you know, he leads the league in sacks. It's like, well, they're not all his fault, man. Like I don't have a cut up, but there's plenty of times where somebody else gets up the pressure and then Joe Burrow tries to run away from that. And Jonah's guy just gets to go make the tackle because Joe Burrow runs into it or he's running away and it's not really Jonah's fault. It's like five seconds after the play. Like, yeah, he gives up sacks. Like it's not to say he's never given up a sack in his, in this season, but I think it's just, it's just a bad way to evaluate offensive linemen because Jackson Carmen, if we were doing that would still be on pace to give up like nine sacks this season, which would be top five. I think this is a good thing if you have this problem. Say jo say Jackson has to play in this game and the Bengals are able to win and he looks good out there. If you get another two to three weeks, which I'll, I'll count this week as a, as a third week until you get to that two-week period before the Super Bowl, if they win this game, you get Jonah Williams rest going into the Super Bowl and, and, and getting that time to heal. You could say the same thing for Alex Kappa. If we're going into the offseason and say that Jackson Carmen performs well, that he can be another depth piece when it comes to the tackle position, that is a great problem to have for a team that has offensive line issues. For a rookie that – well, not even a rookie, second-year player that a lot of people thought, what a bad draft pick. 
it, it, it ends up working out that he can be, you know, maybe developmental starting tackle on this team. That is a great problem to have because Jonah Williams is going to have one. He's going to be on this team next year and he's more than likely going to be the left tackle next year. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's it for Jonah. But if you got Jackson Carmen in the wing waiting to take over that position, he's still part of the staff as a de developmental piece with Frank Pollock in this line. That is a great problem when it comes to this offensive line. So those conversations will be fun to have. I'm hoping they're optimistic and we're talking about the position because there's a huge game at Arrowhead coming up. And can he have Burrowhead? Burrowhead. Uh, can he have to, I can't, the, the clip of Mike Hilton saying that is my all time favorite. What is Eli Apple doing in that clip, by the way? I think, I'm, oh, I don't, I think they're having a lot of fun. They're yeah, having just having fun. fun. They're ha it's a party, but um, I, I love everything about that, those uh, social media sideline clips. But yeah, when you talk about this offensive line, this is a good problem to have. I hope we're having that conversation. Can he have two back-to-back -back good performances? I'm not a doctor. I don't know if Jonah Williams is going to play. We will find out more when they hit the practice field Wednesday and Thursday. I would say... Zach Taylor, the way he has handled injuries all season long, he's very cautious. I know this is a super, I know it's the playoffs and it's one and done. So you got to take it with, hey, if my starters can go at 80%, I'm going to put them out there. I think you're still going to roll with Jackson Carmen. But the other question I'd have, if Alex Kapp is good to go, if he's, if he's at 70%, are you putting Alex Kapp out there or are you saying we're going to roll with Max? I'm putting Kapp out there at 70%, yeah. I think he's really good. Like, I, I think he's legitimately a good player. So, like, I, I think Jonah's been fine this year, kind of regressed from last year. I thought he was pretty good. And I was like, well, if he makes a jump and didn't make that jump, he actually jumped backwards. Uh, but he's still not bad. Like, I think he's fine. That's why I would still play him if he's healthy. Uh, but Kappa, even at 70%, I'd play him just because he's legitimately a good right guard in the league. And you're facing Chris Jones. I, I think if anybody can execute – a game plan against Chris Jones, it's probably Alex Kappa, right? Like who do you trust more? Even 70%. Like I still trust Kappa more than I would Max Sharping. If there comes a situation where he has to block Chris Jones one-on-one, -on -one, or even if it's just executing the game plan and making sure Chris Jones doesn't get outside him because he has Kyrus on the inside. Um, that's just Kappa all the way, especially because this chiefs game, like I mentioned, Chris Jones, they don't really have edge rushers. You're too worried about maybe rookie Carl Loftus, maybe friend Carlos Dunlap, but um, not a ton. Like those, neither one of those guys are like a legitimately good number two type rusher. They're more like number three pieces uh, to me. So I'm more worried about the interior than I am the outside. And uh, so if I can get help on the interior, that's more important to me because you really don't want it, Chris Jones to destroy this game the same way Aaron Donald did in the Super Bowl. And he can really do that. Uh, I know we're not talking, you know. Yeah, I think he's second best defensive tackle in the league after Aaron Donald, especially at rushing the passer. Yeah, I, I would say that's going to be one of my biggest concerns. And you look ahead to previews and predictions later this week when it comes to this offensive line. Look, the Chiefs are different than the Bills. They're a better team. I'll say right now, they're a better team. Um, they struggled in some of their games late in regular season, but this this is going to be no joke facing him. And um, I know he wants revenge from Joe Burrow getting out of that sack and running for the first down in the second half of the AFC championship game. And it was uh, honestly, I feel like that was the play of the game, to be completely honest with you. There he lifts his feet. And he yeah. just runs straight ahead. And it, I mean, he runs, gets out of it, and then he's on the ground. Chris Jones is on the ground. And I'm like, dude, that saved the game. That saved the game, and that was the drive um, that this team needed. And I just you look back on that, and those Chiefs players know they, they've lost three in a row to, to this guy in, in about 12 months and a week 
period of time. Uh, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a battle out there. But I think that's going to be something to watch when they get back to practice. If Alex Kappa can go, I know that some of the injured players do travel with the team. But for him to be out there, he's off the scooter. He's now in the boot. Um, does that mean that this guy's going to tough it out? He did it before when he was with Tampa and he he could probably do it again. I mean, it's one and done. You gotta you gotta win this game to get to the bowl. So uh, I think they're going to uh, I think they're gonna roll with him if he can go. But we really won't know until they get to practice tomorrow and Thursday if what this offensive line is gonna look like. So would you feel okay? Safe safe it was, Kappa Karras, Jackson Carmen, Hakeem Adeniji. Do I feel okay? Cordell Wilson. Yeah, um, I think so. I think I feel okay. I, I, that performance that they gave this week, I think, bumps me from feeling like, because if you asked me two weeks ago and then tell me the performance they're going to have, like Bengals win and they face the Chiefs. What's your, where are you? I'd be like a two out of 10 <laughs> in my conference. I'd be like, I'm scared. Yeah. But uh, this now I'm more like, I'm nervous a little bit, probably around like a, five out of 10 on, on the scale here in, in confidence instead of a two out of 10. I'm, I'm nervous just because Chris Jones is such a good player. And these are still, you know, they're backups and a third string guy. So it could fall down, but I'm not scared so much. I, like nervous, cautiously optimistic, I guess, maybe just like, I think they can do this. And whether they give up one sack to Chris Jones, that's definitely possible. But I don't think they'll do any type of situation where it's like three sacks from Jones and he's pressuring Burrow on 40% of his dropbacks type situation. Like I think I feel confident that they can stop Jones from wrecking the game. Not to get too much into this, but I do want to bring it up just because we're talking offensive line and we hit it already when it comes to the run game. Do you think they're going to be able to run the ball? I do. Um the Chiefs' front outside of Jones isn't as impressive as the Bills' front, uh, especially linebacker-wise. I think they can run at those linebackers a bit. They kind of did that in the first game, kind of just went right at those linebackers the entire game. So if they're going to run, do that type of stuff, I think they can. And if you are going to get Chris Jones anywhere, it's actually on run plays. And they got him on, one, uh, on their crunch play, uh, which is a wham with a trap. That wham block worked because Chris Jones loves getting upfield. He, he likes rushing the passer. So rush the passer. You just got to remind him, got to play the run too, and hit him with a tight end out of nowhere uh, or, or a guard out of nowhere. It's, uh, I don't know. There's there's a, a fun meme about it where it's the undertaker standing behind somebody laughing, and the guy that's laughing is like the defensive line going unblocked, and the undertaker is like a pooling guard, and that is what you can kind of do to Chris Jones a little bit. Not, he's still a really good player, so you can't just hammer that the entire game, but just remind him. Like, you got to put the run two against this team. If you're Zach Taylor and you lose the coin toss, I, I mean, if you're if you win the coin toss, what are you doing? I have a, I've had a 10, what, 15 week war with Zach Taylor over, I would still defer, um, but he's probably going to receive the ball. You got to do it. You, if you score to begin the game, Bengals have a great record. They have a great record. They're wearing the all white unis. I love it because if they win, they can just do the whole entire AFC champ celebration, just like they did last year. Same uniforms, new hat. Who lifts Burrow instead of Tyler Sheldon? Oh my gosh, this is a great question. Um, you go, and I'm going to come up with mine. Uh, reader. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm like trying to think. I was like Jamar Chase and I was like, no, he's so tiny. He wouldn't be able to. <laughs> It'd be hilarious <laughs> if I tried to recreate Jamar Chase fell down trying to hold him up or something. Never mind. Never Jamar Chase is strong like... enough that he could do it. I'm just saying that, you know, he is not DJ Reader, Tyler Shelvin type. Hayden Hurst. Nick says Hayden Hurst. And I like that. He's a big, strong guy. Uh, but people forget that Joe's pretty tall. He's a pretty tall dude. Six, um, four. Six four, pretty big for a quarterback, I would say. Hayden Hurst yeah. probably six five. Um, goodness, I hope we're talking about that. I hope we're talking about that when we record on Sunday night. That uh, who who held Joe Burrow up? Because you know they're gonna do it. They're gonna do it again. Um, I love the DJ Reader. Two of the most valuable players on the team. Yeah. Um, doing that, you have to do that. Well, more on the defensive side next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's always game day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Defense. Defense, defense, defense. I said off the air before we were recorded this podcast, I wanted to know, were you more impressed with the offensive line performance or Lou and the gang keeping uh, Josh Allen pretty much out of the end zone. He only had one touchdown that he ran in in one field goal, holding them to 10 points total in this game. I think it's about equal, but the bias in me says offensive line because this defense, I think people thought this this performance was possible from the defense because you've seen Lou and this defense cook this type of thing up before. The offensive line, I don't think anybody saw coming that domination, just like – Nobody, nobody was saying like, well, that Bengals offensive line is just going to kick their butt up and down the field. It's like, no, nobody said that. Now, were there some people, not me, I, I feel like I just, I, I have to eventually just get there and just say Lou's going to stop these elite quarterbacks, but it's so hard on paper because it just doesn't make sense, but he's just able to do it. Um, some people were probably saying like, the Bills are probably going to have a tough time against this defense, right? Um, and I did think that we both, I believe, didn't we both predict them under 30? Yeah. Uh, Bengals offense and Bills offense. Yeah. So like we thought like they were going to have some success, but they didn't see that type of success. And we were probably both saying the offensive line is probably not having much success in this game. We're going to have to work around it. And they didn't have to. Offensive line was a big reason they won this game. So I'll say offensive line, but I do want to get into the defense a bit because it was a super, super good performance. Lowest point total for the Bills this season. Yeah. The defensive side of the ball was absolutely incredible. And here's the thing. Again, after a game, everybody has takes, how they feel the game win. It was snowing. Maybe it was an advantage for Cincinnati. But, like, look, both teams are out there playing in the snow. Defensively, how did you feel when it comes to, to taking care of Josh Allen and just, I mean, we, we go to the secondary, we can go to the D-line, um, linebacker room, just just impressed with, with what they were able to do in the divisional realm. Yeah, something that I, I thought was rare uh, for this Bills offense and Josh Allen it felt like Josh Allen was lost by the fourth quarter. Like he had been hit so many times by all these weird pressures. I mean, the Bengals were sending Mike Hilton and Von Bell from Syracuse. 
just flying into the thing from like out of the stadium. You know, these guys were like five yards off the receiver and they just blitz right at the snap and get to them. That's so hard. And they're dropping right into the windows that these bills wanted. They wanted slants. They wanted all these other answers for Josh Allen to get the ball out quickly if he needed to, because the offensive line was losing these battles. The offensive linemen, linebackers are dropping right in those windows. So he had to kind of go like, Ooh, uh, I got to go look over here. By the time he looks over there, he's getting hit, even though these pressures are coming from forever away. And then also I thought the Bengals, all these, um, and they weren't afraid to play single high coverage, which, is a little surprising because Stefan Diggs, that means you're one-on-one with Stefan Diggs or somebody, but they weren't afraid to play these single high coverages, which made their, they did all these Tampa two rotations. Tampa two is uh five underneath defenders too deep. And the middle linebacker is actually kind of almost like a deep defender. They did so many funky Tampa two rotations, uh, but, and they came with like, Trey Hendrickson is going to drop into one of the hooks or, you know, uh, Sam Hubbard or Joseph Osai is going to drop into those or maybe both. Uh, and they would send Mike Hilton or they'd send somebody else. And sometimes they'd play drop eight with that, which is sending an eighth defender back. So you have two deep and six underneath defenders. All of that just seemed to get to Josh Allen by the end of the game. And he just wasn't sure what he was seeing anymore. And to be able to do that to what the third best quarterback in the NFL. And I know he's, He's not the third best processor in the NFL, but he's gotten so much better at it. Like he's probably seen this type of stuff before, but he just you just get hit and you, all this stuff keeps happening to you, and you don't have a run game, and the offensive line is losing. It's just like it all added up. And by the, the fourth quarter, it just seemed like he's like I I don't know anymore. Like I I'm just not sure what I'm seeing, and that's just that's so rare to do to an elite quarterback. They did it to to Patrick Mahomes last year in the second half of that game. Although that came with the caveat of Patrick Mahomes was a flamethrower in the first half of that game. Uh, but yeah, I was just, I thought that was super impressive. It, it's its hard to say I was more impressed with the offensive line just because all the stuff they threw at Josh Allen and making him into that was extremely impressive. One of the most impressive performances defense is, the defense has had this season. And it's up there with lose tenure right behind probably that Chiefs AFC championship game. It's kind of crazy because a lot of people, they were talking about the first nine minutes of that Monday night football game and the way Joe Burrow was just, he was able to drive down the field and it felt like they were about to drive down the field and score another touchdown. Uh, at least they were in uh, the Bills territory. But when the Bills were driving down the field in that first drive, you know, they were able to get down the field. Yeah. They were, I mean, there was just a, a dropped pass away from. Yep. Well, basically dropped pass from probably scoring a touchdown. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is probably going to be a shootout. It's going to be hard. It's all about possession. How many times are the Bengals, you know, offense going to be able to sustain long drives? Um, what's this game going to look like? And I was just more impressed with, hey, we're not going to relive that Monday night football game for those first nine minutes. And you go to this game and the defense was just absolutely on another level. And the thing is, we talked about, and I did a couple radio hits that week, and they said, well, what is your biggest concern with this team? Is it the secondary? When you think about Gabe Davis, what he does in the playoffs, and Stephon Diggs, uh, one of the top five receivers in the NFL and you have Cam Taylor Britt as a rookie you have Eli Apple as a rookie or not as a rookie but as a, a, a not not sorry Eli Apple do not come at me uh you are not a rookie had rookie in my head uh but you have he's not your starting corner he's not your starting corner since he's Chito. not your number one corner not your number one corner. corner not your number one corner but you know right before Cheeto went out there was like Cam Taylor Britt getting a few reps out there it was the the cornerback room yeah, looked a little yeah. different um, but Hey, those are your two guys. And they really never went up against receivers like Stefan Diggs. And then you put Gabe 
Gabe Davis on the other side. What's that going to look like? Are they going to eat? Um, you know, how's the defense going to be able to defend them? And I think that's what I was impressed by. Um, look, there was some Josh Allen misses, and, and maybe you can blame the receivers on a couple that I thought, oh, he's gone. He's going in the end zone if he catches that. And the defense was able to, to really step up in the secondary. So I was really impressed with what I saw from Cam Taylor Britt and Eli Apple in that game against two legit receivers. Me too. Like I mentioned, they played some single high. They played some quarters. All this means is if that receiver is going vertical or outside, he's yours. And even though that's zone coverage, you are one-on-one -on -one with that guy. Um, and that's a double move. They're in quarters. And Eli Apple, it's so funny to me that he catches himself. Like, he's about to jump the double move. And then you kind of see him go like, not again. <laughs> Just like slam the foot down. Like he starts it. He wants it. He wants to drive on that. But he's like, not again. I'm not doing this again. And then Stephon Diggs breaks deep and he sticks with him. Great job. Uh, you think Cam Taylor Britt and – just never any panic with Cam Taylor Britt. He gets beat deep because he misses his jam on Gabe Davis. The ball's a tiny bit underthrown, so Gabe Davis has to hold up. And there he is, playing through the hands, getting the pass breakup. I thought those two were really good in this game. And what, again, was basically this was perceived to be a mismatch the other way. And especially with Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, whatever. Uh, yeah. But especially with Stephon Diggs, it's like, this is a mismatch. Like, if you're going to be one on one with Stephon Diggs, you're going to get toasted. And they didn't. They were one on one with Stephon Diggs, and they did not get toasted the entire game. Like, yes, they bracketed Stephon Diggs. They played a bunch of coverages to him. They did all this other stuff. But Stephon Diggs, despite all that, in the first game, had 30 yards on one drive. He had about 30 yards this entire game on 10 targets. I mean, that type of efficiency is like a bad running back type of efficiency, just catching dump offs and getting tackled. Um, yeah, I thought. I thought both corners really stepped. Everybody who was supposed to get beat stepped up. The offensive line, the corners, they all stepped up. And that is, I think, the storyline of the game, really. It's just the reason the Bengals put the beat down on these guys is the Bills had no mismatches. Like, the Bengals took advantage of their mismatches. Their wide receivers against the outside corners, their passing game, uh, their defensive line against the Bills' offensive line, and the Bills did the opposite. They got beat on what were supposed to be their mismatches. Stephon Diggs against these corners, their defensive line against the Bengals' offensive line just smoked. And it's you can't overcome that, really, if you're getting beat on your mismatches on one end and then the other side they're getting beat too everybody's getting beat on your team that's just going to be a butt whooping and one of the things that they they're doing over the last few weeks with Trey Hendrickson playing out there with a broken wrist he's not going 100 percent on the, he's not out there 100 percent of the snaps and being able to rotate him in there I think is still impressive with the guys who are stepping up on the D-line um just over the last few weeks, and you could even say early on in the season, what's this defensive line going to look like? Um, are they going to be able to put pressure on quarterbacks? And I just think that's credit to the D-line coach and, and Hobby and just Lou and Rimmel all together, what, what you're being able to see. And I, I feel like Lou just – I joke and I had this little gif on, on Twitter that I use. He's just an, he's a chemist. He legit just has all these ideas and, and he sees Josh Allen. He sees Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's about to try and defend Patrick Mahomes for the fourth time. What's that going to look like when it comes from your defensive coordinator and all these different guys are rotating in and out. Some of the guys who have had to step up this year due to injuries. Um, it's just been really impressive. And, and Mike Hilton has been, we talk about DJ reader being an MVP. Mike Hilton just, comes up big time after time. And I feel like he's going to be a big time player this coming Sunday against Patrick Mahomes too. He was the key to the, to the game plan to me. Uh, I know the outside corners played well. DJ reader obviously plays well. BJ Hill plays well. Um, Trey Hendrickson and the, and the pass rushers were really good. The key to the game though was Mike Hilton to me. It was, he 
was on five blitzes in this game. He had four pressures. And these were not, he was near the line of scrimmage on the snap and just, you know, was faster than the tackle. He was blitzing from Timbuktu over there, uh, six yards off the ball and over a slot receiver that's four, another four or five yards away from the line. And he was able to time that up perfectly and get pressure, affect the quarterback, should have had a strip sack, 50-50 on the call. You know, they, they give those to the quarterback. It's fine. I don't think it was anything bad on that. But I was 50-50. I was like, that could actually be a fumble. And they just never seemed to give those to the defense. Um, so uh, he was awesome in this game. And not even just all that, but he's still just an awesome, awesome run defender. He has linebacker mentality. The dog in him is about 10 feet tall. Clifford, the big red dog, is inside of him. That's the size of the dog in him. Uh, bigger than than houses, like three times the size of houses walking around. Uh, just because to be like five foot nine, 180 pounds, and he made a stop on, I believe it was Dawson Knox in this play, and just stopped him in his tracks. Dawson Knox is like 250, guys. That's that's so impressive. With a full head of steam, just stopped him in his track. He's just fearless. What a fearless player. And just the epitome of this Bengals defense, I think, to be a bit underrated, a really good run defender, and smart everywhere else. That's just that is the Spangles defense is just so smart, great run defense. They're solid and sound everywhere, and they're fearless. Mike Hilton was definitely hitting that cold tub uh, when they got back to Cincinnati because the way that guy hits, it hurts me watching him out there. Uh, he's just extremely impressive, and I'm, I'm really glad they were able to pick him up a couple years ago. With this team in the postseason, I'm not sure how you felt. Um, obviously, we will move on to championship week later in the week, but – it was one of the most relaxing playoff games that I've ever watched in Bengals history. Yeah, the most. I was still nervous, like, even after halftime, like third quarter, and mm -hmm. they made that long drive. They got a field goal, and I was like, okay, well, two-possession game type situation. But, yeah, never, never felt like they were in a bad spot. Um, even the Raiders game last year, you did feel it like at the end there, like you could say what you wanted. I remember I was on, I was on the living room floor <laughs> because it was going to be the first Pengals win in 31 years. Cause I still had the memories of all the other losses in my mind. And I'm thinking like, Oh my God, are they going to blow this to Derek Carr somehow or some weird penalty or whatever? And no, they got it, came away with the win. I think. And then, you know, they pulled it off against Tennessee, but that was obviously a nail biter pulled off against the chiefs. Definitely a nail biter. Um, but then this year, Ravens game, that's another nail-biter. But this game, wire to wire, dominance. They won it in the first quarter. I know that things would go different if it was only 14 points from the Bengals, blah, blah, blah. But they scored 14 in the first quarter, and the Bills scored 10 the whole game. That's just – that's so – that's dominant. And just basically start to finish. Bengals' first drive, touchdown, and they never even were tied with the Bills. And I think they were up two scores the entire game. Yeah, it just felt like, okay, this team is going to be just fine. And I honestly, the way it was going in the first few drives, I'm like, what if they score on every drive? <laughs> just just the way they've been able to get down the field. Um, absolutely incredible. Another thing that was really good to see, I know we talked a little bit on our post-game podcast, Evan McPherson, um, kicking in the snow isn't easy. And uh, Money Mac felt like he was back. And it's just like, I felt like Bengals fans deserved to feel a little calm in a game that I think we were all just a little nervous going in. I picked the Bengals to win that game. You picked the Bengals to win that game. But did Nick I? Didn't. Nick didn't, our producer. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't learn this week because it's really working out for the Bengals uh, if he picks against them. But it, you, you get that game before you have an AFC championship weekend. And this game, 
I mean, we'll feel all sorts of ways. I don't know how I feel right now on a, on a Tuesday as we're recording this. We're going to find out more with Patrick Mahomes. He's probably not going to be 100%, but not a lot of guys are when they're out there playing in their 15th or uh, 20th game of the season, which is insane to think about at this, at this point in the, of the year. 14 wins. Bengals are trying to get 15 and 16. Um, just absolutely, absolutely incredible and really fun to watch from, from all three phases for this team. Uh, when you when you looked back on that game, we had O-line, we had Joe Burrow, defensive line. Is there anything else that really stood out for you? Yes. And this is something I don't think anybody else has pointed out. Drew Chrisman was an awesome holder in this game. Uh, there were bad snaps. There were snaps that were low, and uh, he was able to get it up and for McPherson to kick. Because if McPherson missed any of those, if the timing was off, if they missed extra points, oh my goodness, we'd be having so many talks because he missed an extra point last week. But Chrisman was a great holder in this game. And I think that's something you were worried about because Kevin Huber has done it so long. It was, you know, Clark Harris to Kevin Huber and just nonstop perfection. And now Chrisman had a, a few awesome holds in this game. So if you have made it this far into the podcast, you get to hear some holder love because I, I don't think anybody else has talked about it. There were some bad snaps and he, it didn't seem like it. Like nobody even knew they were bad snaps because of the way he was able to get it up and up and down and perfect. Look, you need him to be legit because who knows if this game versus Kansas City, either the Niners or the Eagles, who are both legit NFC teams and the Super Bowl should be just a wild one, depending on, you know, if it's Kansas City, if it's Cincinnati versus the Niners or the Eagles should be a really great matchup and you need him to be on point. Uh, when it comes to field goals and, and extra points. So, yeah, that's 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 extremely huge when it comes to the January playoffs and uh, just making sure your special teams is legit right now. And I'm pumped. I'm pumped because the next episode we are talking AFC champ. All three segments will take your questions. We'll have previews and predictions. Will Cincinnati do what they did last year, repeat, and go to the Super Bowl, which is still absolutely incredible to even think about. This team is in the same position they were last year. Mike, what's going to be up on? I know you're busy. You have three articles this week. What's up on all Bengals? We're down one article. We did the takeaways. I'm going to do an offensive line article because it's what the people crave, I believe, I think. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have a beat. Sometimes I don't. And then uh, – uh, Friday, we'll have a preview on something Chiefs related. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, this week, uh, to, by, by the time you listen to this, there should be an offensive line article that's going over how they outperform the Bills defensive line. Go check it out. Make sure you're following along. He has great clips to recap this past week versus the Buffalo Bills, Bengals underscore Sands. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson. Thank you for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.